guys, college football is back. Yeah, amen, right? That's, yeah, that's right. Now, here's, here's the deal, though. I'm an NC State fan. And that's right. Y'all, y'all better have this much passion when we start getting into, like, Acts 21. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's right. I saw you back there, sister. That's right. But here's the issue. Uh, NC State is, has its highest ranking going into the season in, like, the last half century. 13th ranked in the nation. You know, people got really excited because Clemson got bad. And then State was getting better in the ACC and, you know, should have been a 10-win team last year, but UCLA canceled. All this stuff, right? So NC State comes into the season ranked 13. But I've seen this before. And NC State doesn't handle success too well. And so what do you think my expectations for the season are? Eh, that's right. Low. And they proved that yesterday. ECU let them win. Guys, I was watching that. And then a couple hours later, I turn on the Georgia-Oregon game, and I'm like, why can't I be a Georgia fan? <laughs> like, why? Like, I choose to root for a team. No one made me root for a team. And my team can barely beat ECU. But Georgia is playing like, like, that wasn't Oregon. I don't know what team was in green, but that wasn't Oregon. Guys, my expectations for football season are low, and then the commanders start up next week, and then that's a whole other story of like, trust me, they're not coming into the season uh, ranked high. So, But I share that because a lot of times with things in our life and even scriptures that we open, we can get to a passage, and our expectations are low because we don't know what to do with it. We're like, what does this have to do with, with anything? Like uh, this past Friday or Thursday, as I was reading scripture in the morning, uh, the reading plan that I, I've started has me in Deuteronomy uh, 21, and it was talking about like if you find a body in a field, like what to do with it if you don't know who murdered it. And I'm like, what does this have to do with anything? Like, I, I, I mean, the Lord, yeah, the Spirit inspired it, but I'm not really sure what this has to do with anything. So maybe if I find a body in a field, I'll... Anyways... Sometimes when we open scriptures, we can get to those passages, right, where we're like, what are, what are we doing with this? And sometimes our expectations are low. Well, if you were to open the book of Acts, where we'll be this morning, where we've been since February of this year, you may get to Acts 21 and get to a, a part in the passage where you're like, okay, what is the point of this? Because it's just telling me information. Like, wh- like what is the spirit inspiring behind here? Because there's no, like, verse on a mug from Acts 21. There, there's no, like, what, what, do we, what do we do with this? And so we may be tempted to think, okay, Paul is traveling. Great. I can't wait for Acts 22 when he tells his testimony. But let's not do that this morning. Let's come in with expectations that the Word is going to do its job and the Lord is going to speak through the Spirit to hearts that would have the ears to hear. And with that in mind, we do turn to Acts 21. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bible. And if you do not own your Bible, we have free Bibles in the lobby. We uh, 100% want to give you a Bible if you don't have a copy of God's Word. But Acts 21, here we go. After we tore ourselves away from them, we set sail straight from Kos and the next day to Rhodes. And from there to Patara, finding a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we boarded it and set sail. 
And we sighted, after we sighted Cyprus, passing to the south of it, we sailed to Syria and arrived in Tyre, since the ship was to unload its cargo there. We sought out the disciples and stayed there seven days. And through the Spirit, they told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our time had come to end, we left to continue our journey, while all of them, with their wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. And after kneeling down on the beach to pray, we said farewell to one another and boarded the ship, and they returned home. After we tore ourselves away is how Acts 21 starts. And we know what Paul means when he says, after we tore ourselves away, because what did we see last week in Acts chapter 20? We see this tear-filled love for one another addressed to the Ephesian elders, where Paul lays out, hey, men, this is your job as you shepherd the flock that, that, that Jesus has put among you. That this is your job, that, that no doubt, as, as I leave, as Paul leaves, there will be other false teachers that come into the camp and start teaching other things. There will be disciples who are at this time with us, but will at some point no longer be with us because they've been lured away by the teachings of these false teachers. So Paul gives this Ephesian elder address where he says, hey, you can have spirit-led direction. You can have kingdom-led confidence, kingdom-inspired confidence, that the mission will keep going even if it doesn't involve Paul. And it says that there were tears. And at the end of Acts 20, he says, I will never see you again. Paul knows that. And so in Acts 21, Paul says, after we tore ourselves away from the Ephesian elders, this is what they did. And Paul is headed towards Jerusalem. He is headed towards the holy city because it has been five years since Pentecost where the Holy Spirit came upon the Jewish believers and many people heard the gospel in their own language, right? It has been five years. And what Paul would do as he travels is he would want the elders to know, especially the elders in the church of Jerusalem, to know what has been taking place. So Paul is headed back there. And all the way back in Acts 2, we see the day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit first descended upon these believers that set spark to the mission of God. And so Paul is not only going back just to tell them what has been happening, but also to celebrate the five-year anniversary that the Spirit has fallen. And not only has the Spirit fallen, but we've seen the Spirit do miraculous things in the lives of not just Jewish men and women, but Gentiles are coming into the faith now too. So Paul is going to celebrate. Paul is going to let the elders know what has been taking place over the last five years. But Paul is also going to provide relief. All the way back in Acts chapter 11, I don't know if you, uh, this probably isn't your favorite Bible character, but Agabus, y'all, who's, who's like an Agabus fan in here? No one. Okay, sorry, man. Well, he prophesied all the way back in Acts 11 that a great famine would strike Jerusalem. And it has. And guys, get this. Not only is Paul going back to celebrate, and not only is Paul going back to tell the elders what has been happening, but Paul is bringing with him famine relief for the Jewish believers from the Gentile converts. We get stories like what? Philippians. We get stories like what? 2 Corinthians, where Paul's like, look, Corinthians, you said you were going to give to this famine relief, and you haven't given anything yet. It's these Gentile converts that are freely giving, some more than others, that are freely giving their resources over for the people in the holy city that are under famine. Because here's what happens. 
When you convert to a new religion, a new gospel, and for these Jewish men and women who are now converts to the Jesus that we see in the scriptures and following him alone, you lose your relational and familial ties. And so if you were in a family or you were in a community and a famine hits, well, you're in a community or a family. There's some help there. But if you've been outcasted, Because you have forsaken, at least that's what they're going to get into in this passage, you have forsaken everything that Moses had taught us, then you're not a part of this family anymore and you're certainly not a part of this community. And so there are believers in Jerusalem that Paul is traveling back to and he's bringing with him famine relief from the Gentiles. In fact, Romans 15 tells us that it is right for the Gentile churches to give to the saints in Jerusalem when they are struggling. And so this is the setting as as we open Acts 21 and as Paul is traveling, he's going back to Jerusalem. And once we hit Acts 22 and going forward, we are going to see a trial and and threats in Jerusalem, but also we're going to set our our, our sights towards Rome where Paul would ultimately be killed. So we're not far from the end of his life. But this is the context of Acts 21. And spoiler alert, Paul's journey of blessing and love and celebration will not go unmet with persecution. To be back in Jerusalem, the center of the Jewish church, is in fact dangerous to the apostle. In fact, the Spirit testifies of such. Look back down at it, verse 4 in Acts 21. We sought out the disciples and stayed there seven days. And through the Spirit, they told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Through the Spirit, they told Paul, do not go back to Jerusalem. And this is the first of several revelations from the Lord that Paul will experience here in Acts 21. And while Paul had just met these disciples and only stayed for seven days, we see here that there is a genuine love for him that lies beneath their concern for him. You see, it's not that the Lord told Paul not to go to Jerusalem. It's that the Spirit was showing them what was going to happen in Jerusalem, and they were telling him not to go. I mean, we've seen it in the book of Acts, right, where Paul says, hey, I wanted to go here, but the Spirit forbade me, that the Spirit sent me somewhere else. That's not what's happening here. The Spirit has hindered journeys before. But what we are receiving here and what these believers are receiving is a word or a vision or how it happened, I'm not sure, that what Paul will be met with, and out of love and true concern, they are pleading with him not to go. I can remember, and it's just so appropriate that the Georges are here today because I I remember when they were moving to Tennessee, the Spirit gave me a vision that they should not go. And I told them, I was like, no, you really shouldn't move. Like, like you shouldn't go. I told them, but they still went. And and obviously, I'm joking about it, but it it was such good reminder as I was studying this and I knew Cameron would be up here that I'm like, man, it was, it was like, I really didn't want them to go to Tennessee at all, but it it takes faithful men and women like Cameron and Taylor who were like, I I know the Spirit might be leading you there, Adam, but the Spirit is leading us to Tennessee, so we got to go anyways. That's what's happening here. It's not that there's heresy in Jerusalem. It's that there's true concern for the Apostle Paul, and the believers are like, this is what the Lord is telling us, you shouldn't go. And before we go any further, and as we dive into this a little bit deeper, If you're taking notes, write this down. That we must be known for genuine love for one another. What Paul is experiencing here is not bad advice. 
What Paul is experiencing here is not anti-Lord. What he's experiencing here is genuine love where they say and they see and they prophesy that my friend is walking towards his death sentence and I really love my friend. We must be known for genuine love for one another. The question that I have for all of us in here this morning is do we care for one another like this? Do we care how one another's jobs are going? Do we care how marriages or relationships are going in here? Do we care how just your soul is doing in here? Do we have genuine love for one another that lots of times, like we see in Acts 21, comes through having hard and honest conversations with one another? You see, I'm not always great at this. <laughs> if there's one thing I don't like, it is confrontation. Now, I can run my mouth a little bit, but I really don't want confrontation. I saw that at a soccer game this past weekend, two weekends ago. Dude's got a little mouthy behind us. I was more PG than the, my party. But I said, look, either stand up or be quiet. Hoping that this dude wasn't jumping down to hit me. I'm not always great at confrontation. And a lot of times when it comes to ministry and being a pastor, a lot of my job is having hard conversations with people. That it's like I take it serious that you guys have chosen to be here and have chosen to call Citizens Church home. So what I want to do is to the best of my ability, celebrate with you, but also say, hey, brother, sister, I, like, I see this in your life. And I think it's my role to maybe see what the Spirit is doing in this area. What might it be? I'm not, I'm not that great at that. But a lot of times it's through those honest conversations that we have with one another that we see genuine love and concern, right? Like if, if all of us in here have the mind, mindset of Christ, then we want more for one another, even if it requires an honest conversation that may be difficult. It would have been so easy for these believers to sense that Paul was walking into danger, but this is the Apostle Paul. They don't want to like, I'm not calling you out. But no, they're like, you shouldn't go. <laughs> you shouldn't go. And nevertheless, it was the Lord's will. We can love one another like this, guys. We can love one another with a genuine love to face the day ahead of us. I mean, it's love that's driving Paul back to Jerusalem. It's the love for the fellow saints that he is traveling back. And it's love from the saints that they urge him not to go. But he presses on. And we go a little bit deeper in this. Let's keep reading verse 7. When we completed our voyage from Tyre, we reached uh, Telemus, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. So Paul is making great time because he's just like traveling, staying, traveling, staying. <laughs> and the next day we left and came to Caesarea, where we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. This man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And after we had been there for several days, a prophet named Agabus, we remember him, right? Acts chapter 11, came down from Judea and he came to us and he took Paul's belt, tied his own feet and hands and said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And when they heard this, they, both we and the local people pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. And then Paul replied, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? 
For I am not only ready to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we said no more except the Lord's will be done. Some funny things are happening here. Number one, Luke is now saying we are pleading him, pleading with him to not go. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, is saying, look, we did. Philip, who was one of the, 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 the deacons to, that was chosen to serve all the way back in the beginning of Acts, Philip, who is now the evangelist, which tells us, hey, if you're called to serve at tables, it's not that you're just wiping down tables. You can actually share the gospel and you're called to more. And the, the people that are called to more can also wipe down tables. We talked about that. We don't need to go back through it. But in all these characters, Paul is once again receiving word, do not go. And then this man named Agabus, who somehow got Paul's belt off of him and hog ties himself, says, hey, not only shouldn't you go, but this is what's going to happen. Once again, everyone is trying to talk Paul out of going. And his response is where I want to land for just a second. Did we notice it? Verse 13 of, of Acts 21. Then Paul replied, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? Paul understands that they don't want to see him go. And he's like, look, I don't want to leave you guys either. What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? That's what he sounded like. For I am not only ready to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Guys, if you're taking notes, write this down. We must be known for genuine love for Jesus. It's not just genuine love for one another. It's genuine love for the Christ, the one who is called Paul, the one who is called you. We spoke last week, as Paul said in Acts 20, 24, that I consider my life nothing, but I pour out my life for Jesus. And how that wasn't a call to live foolishly, but it was a call to live sacrificially. Where we understand that this life that Jesus has called us to and who he is beckons us to pour out this life in awe of who he is. And as Paul said that last week in Acts 20, we are seeing the rubber meeting the road as the Spirit is testifying to what will happen and I love this because God will always tell the truth, even if it's a hard truth. The Spirit is testifying, yes, this is what will happen to you, and the Spirit will not lie to you. He's telling the truth to Paul in love that this is what you're in for. And Paul has come to this conclusion where the rubber meets the road, that Jesus is worthy of our everything. Jesus is worthy of our everything. That's what he has come to the conclusion of. In fact, Paul uses language like, I'm not just ready to be tied up and arrested, but I'm ready to die there if that's what it takes. Now, that language of dying for Jesus is pretty foreign to us because we don't live in a culture where our faith is, is taking our life. Now, I, I get that there, we could make the argument for more hostility towards the faith in America, but like, let's not get it twisted. There are brothers and sisters living in Syria that are not worried about the politicians because their lives are being threatened every day. There are brothers and sisters in Burma, modern-day Myanmar, that are being threatened every day by the people around them. There are threats going around. There are still people in 2022 that are killed for their faith, that have this same mantra that Paul has, that says, I am ready for this. I mean, missionaries go from the seminary that I went to, go through organizations like the International Mission Board and give up everything for the sake of supporting our brothers and sisters in these closed-off countries to the gospel. 
Guys, it happens. And while it may be foreign to us, it is something that we may need to think about. Jesus is worthy of our everything, but is that happening in our lives? So two quick things here. While it's not in our life, number one, I just want to throw this out there because we need to talk about it more, honestly. Pray for the persecuted church. Like, there are people living out this verse. Pray, pray for them. But second, while death may not be in your uh, context right now as far as, you know, I'm a Christian and, and this is what it means, I think the second place of application could be what areas can we practice this Jesus is better type sacrifice? What step of faith do you need to take this week? Do you need to have a hard conversation with someone? The Lord is leading you to it. Do you need to set up a counseling appointment because the Lord is leading you to it? Is the Lord leading you to do something this week that may not require death but would certainly require sacrifice? A step of faith, guys, that's all it takes. What will your step of faith be this week? And how do we know? Like, that's a, that's a really good question, Lord. How, how do we know if we're taking a step of faith? Well, I think it echoes what he said in verse 14, because not only did Paul say, hey, I'm ready to die for this, but what did he say in verse 14? Since he would not be persuaded, all of us just sat back and said, okay, let the Lord's will be done. Guys, is that not the calling on our lives now if we are in Jesus Christ? Let the Lord's will be done no matter the sacrifice. And I'll be the first one to tell you, I don't want to sacrifice. I, I really don't. I hate being uncomfortable. Like I put on this collar this morning. I'm like, this is why I'm preaching a t-shirt. You know, because like this. Let the Lord's will be done. And so Paul goes. Through many tears. Through chaos and anxiety and fear. And these visions where the Lord is not lying to Paul but saying, hey, here's what's going to happen to you. Here's the belt they're going to use and here's the position you'll be tied up in. Okay. Paul presses on, verse 15, let's keep reading. And after we got ready and went up to Jerusalem, so they're there, some of the disciples from Caesarea also went with us and brought us to uh, Manasin of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to stay. And let's just like make a side note here. I love how the disciples knew exactly what was going to happen to Paul, but still went with him. You talk about genuine love for the Lord and genuine care for their friend. It's like, well, we're going too. And when we reached Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters welcomed us warmly. And the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders who were present. So the elders in the Jerusalem church are here. And after greeting them, he reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God and said, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are who have believed, and they are still all zealous for the law. But they have been informed about you that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to abandon Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or to live according to their customs. So what is to be done? Because they have certainly heard that you've come. You see, Paul is welcomed warmly by the apostles, by the elders. But the elders are quick to tell him, Paul, so many people have been coming to faith. But as they come to faith, they hear this rumor, this false accusation against Paul. 
that you are the one in the ancient Near East throughout the entire Mediterranean that are telling these Jews to forget Moses and forget the customs. Forget the circumcision, the sign of the covenant. Forget those things. And it's this false accusation against Paul. And guys, Paul is going to be in chains for the sake of mission. Don't get it twisted. You see, these are, these are false accusations that Paul as a Roman citizen could easily fight. He has status. I mean, he hasn't actually done what they're accusing him of doing, right? I mean, Paul has never said in the New Testament, Jews, stop circumcising your children. Or Jews, stop abandoning the practices of Judaism. Like, he never said that. Now, he made statements like Gentiles don't have to be circumcised, that they don't have to follow the laws and customs of Judaism. He made radical statements like that. And there's this tension in Jerusalem because of those things. There's celebration because the Gentiles are in. God is doing a new thing. But there's tension because this false accusation has spread all the way to Jerusalem. Five years since Paul has been there. Since Pentecost, the Spirit has come. And it's these false accusations that Paul has been telling them to abandon their calling. And so the elders decide this plan, and this is the last of Acts 21 that we'll read this morning, verse 23. This is the plan, okay? And therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have made a vow, and take these men and purify yourself along with them, and pay for them to get their heads shaved. Then everyone will know that what they were told about you amounts to nothing, but that you yourself are also careful about observing the law. With regard to the Gentiles who have believed, we have written a letter containing our decision that they should keep themselves from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from what is strangled, and from sexual immorality. So the next day, Paul took the men, having purified himself along with them, and entered the temple, announcing the completion of the purification days when the offering would be made for each of them. And when the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd, and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help! This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people, against our law, and against this place. What more is he brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city with him, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was stirred up and the people rushed together. They seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and at once and at once the gates were shut. Paul, how can we prove that you haven't gone against the customs of Judaism? Paul is going to take a purification ritual himself. And the elders in Jerusalem, and I love this because this speaks to the plurality of elders, and it's not that like one is better than the other, but it's like, hey, Paul, this is not a suggestion. This is what you are going to do because we are all in agreement. This is what you're going to do, Paul. For the rumors and false narrative that Paul is saying to forsake all the Jewish laws and customs, they urge him to take who? Four men with him and shave their heads, pay for them to have their heads shaved in the temple presence. Now, what is happening here, if you're not used to and maybe you're not familiar with uh, temple rites and, and, and purification rituals, is that this is a Nazarite purification ritual. These four men that Paul are with have taken a Nazarite vow 
And at the end of this vow, what you would do is shave your head. And we've seen this before, right? In a couple chapters prior to this, Paul took a Nazarite vow, right? And he shaved his head, and all the guys that were bald and sort of like me shaved heads said, Amen. And scholars believe that there were many different reasons. Many different reasons why the elders had this plan in place. And before you get to thinking, well, Paul's just doing this so he thinks that he's still with him. No, he's not. This was a good idea because a lot of scholars believe that this explanation has, has meaning that Paul has been in Gentile areas. And so this ritual of cleansing is to show the Jewish leaders that he is not against their customs and laws, but he is actually for it. He himself is going to purify himself to where he's been. Paul has been doing great missionary work. But he has been in cities like Ephesus, where there is great darkness. Where there is great, I mean, the, the great goddess Artemis, right, resides in, a, in Ephesus. And there's spiritual warfare in these places that he's gone. In Macedonia, in Greece. And so Paul is recognizing, yes, I have been in some places that are dark and that are sinful. And he's not just doing this for show. He's literally seeing and watching these men before him and him himself purify himself, saying, hey, I'm not, I'm not against you. I never said I was against you. I have been in these places, and I'm going to purify ourselves. In fact, all the Gentile converts were not said, hey, the, you know, it's just Jesus, no rules, so just keep doing what you're doing, dog. And they were told, like to the Gentiles, they say in verse 25, to the Gentiles we've told them. Abstain from sexual immorality. Abstain from these types of food. These customs that you once walked in darkness in, abstain for those things. It's not like the gospel wasn't freeing, but there was a way in which we honor the Lord. And Paul is saying, look, we've done that with them. And I myself am going to purify myself. And, and maybe you're like, okay, but I, I still don't understand the whole ritualistic thing. That's okay. Let me just put it like this. Brother and sister, it's not your job or your calling to stir up this culture in the name of Jesus. It's just not. It wasn't Paul's calling to walk into the temple and be like, I don't care. Put me in chains. That attitude gets him killed faster. But for the sake of mission, Paul is wise and he's wise with the elders that say, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to say, yeah, I actually believe this. But we're going to say, look, I'm, I haven't told anybody to go against the laws and customs. And so many times in our culture today, we take it upon ourselves and we think it as Jesus followers, we need to be the loudest in the room. And that we need to be louder than the culture is towards us. And we need to shout higher. And we need to shout louder. And we need to shout quicker. And I really don't think that's our call. Live radically different? Oh, yeah. Stand firm? Yeah. But it's foolish to stir up crowds and seek an argument. Proverbs tells us that. Live radical lives. Swim upstream if you have to. But don't be the loudest in the room. Be the most loving. Be the kindest. And at the end of the day, heck, are you prepared to die for Jesus? <laughs> Who cares what they do to me, right? I mean, I can't get over standing at a soccer game, but, you know, Lord, keep working in me. And Paul is simply coming to report what has happened. That, look, I haven't told these people to go against Jewish laws and customs, so I don't know what you've heard. But the Gentiles are in. And we've seen the Spirit fall. And what was a time of celebration with the elders is quickly turned into a time of sabotage 
and chaos as the people stir up the people in the city. Paul was there for seven days before loudmouths got into the temple and said, hey, this is the guy that's been doing it. And the people wouldn't have it. They stir up the people, and once again, Paul is a target, and it doesn't matter what he says or what he does. And so as we close this morning, we are beginning a multiple-week study on the arrest and trial of Paul. That is where Philippians, or uh, Acts is going. That Paul is going to be traveling to Rome, his final destination. We're going to have a couple weeks of these chapters where Paul is testifying of who Jesus has been in his life and, and what the city wants to do with his life. It's going to be very, very interesting. That's where we're going. And in fact, at the, end of verse tw- uh, at the end of chapter 21, it tells us that while the people took Paul and beat him to death, the commander of the regiment went down to, to get Paul and arrest him. So the people take him outside the city. They're beating him to death. The commander sees what's happening. They ride down there. The people scatter, and they arrest Paul, and now they're going to take him into the trial. That is what's going to happen in Acts 22. And within this passage, we have seen a prophecy of what will happen. Paul is told by the Spirit that you will be met with change and hostility in Jerusalem. And if you're like me, you may read this and think, yeah, it wasn't the best of news, but at least Paul knew what he was walking into. So many times, the anxiety and the fear that that creeps up in our heart is because we don't really know what we're walking into. We don't know what meets us as we step into a new job or a new relationship or a new state, a new home, a new family. It's the unknown of our next day that, that may stir up these emotions. What will happen with this job? What will happen in my family? I mean, we're having a baby in December, and I'm like, what the heck do I do with that? It, right, it's the unknown that it's like, okay, yeah, I'm a little worried. Now, luckily, we have a nurse in the house, so it's like, we're good. I will help. I'm not saying I'm not helping, but she knows what she's doing, okay? And I will learn. I will learn through experience. But it's the unknown that creeps in like, oh, maybe some anxiety. And I don't know where you're at this, this morning. <laughs> that it's like, yeah, I'm not walking into Jerusalem and I won't be bound up by chains, but I, I'm certainly a little worried about what tomorrow holds. And so as we close today and the guys come back up, I want to close with a word from encouragement from Proverbs. And it's this, and you've probably heard it. Proverbs 3 says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, know him and he will make your path straight. You see, that was a promise for those that will come under the authority of Yahweh. Come under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And while it looks bloody and it looks like a beating and while it looks like maybe death, Paul is walking this out that he is trusting the Lord as he goes. That his own understanding Yeah, it makes a lot of sense that I would probably not go to Jerusalem because I want to stay alive. But nevertheless, it's the Lord's will be done, and he is walking this out, that he will make your path straight, even if that path is the path of death. Maybe the Lord will give you a word or a vision for what's coming next in life. I don't know. Maybe the Lord will give you a a word from someone in this church that says, hey, I see this in your life. I, I, I don't know. But here's what we do know, and this is our sermon in a sentence if you're writing down notes. That no matter what comes next, we can trust the Lord. No matter what comes next, we can trust the Lord. And a lot of times the what comes next is foggy at best. I mean, we didn't wake ourselves up this morning. 
We have no idea what today holds. But what we do know is that the Lord has us. And he's going to get us to where we need to go. I mean, this is the confidence that Paul has as he writes in Romans 8, neither life nor death can separate me from the love of Christ. That nothing on earth or off the earth can separate me. No demons, nor angels, nor sufferings, nor beatings. Nothing can separate us from the love that Jesus Christ has for us. A love that would be proven through the good news of the gospel, that Jesus would take on our sins, hang on a cross as a sacrifice, die, be buried, and then resurrect three days later. We are Easter people, right? That Jesus is actually alive. And because Jesus is alive, Paul can enter Jerusalem and you can enter Monday. Saying, whatever comes next, the Lord's got me. Lord, help us be faithful, right? Help Adam be faithful. Help me be trusting. (laughs) Help me not be a jerk. That's our prayer. Whatever's going on in your life, the Lord's got you. He's got you.